Pastor Rich, it's so good to have you. I think the young people, um, come on in, young people, if you can see me, hear me, come on. Amen. Yeah, just come on in. Amen. Thank, Thank you, you preacher. Thank you. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and uh, go to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at a few scriptures here. I'm going to try to move uh, pretty quickly, amen, this morning. And uh, I had thought I, I was going to uh, speak on the 20 best decisions I ever made, and uh, I believe uh, that the Lord is moving in a different direction, and so um, try to be obedient to that, and uh, I know Pastor Parmar's here, and of course pastors here, that's, uh, that's not always easy to do, amen? <laughs> Sometimes we have a message and we want to preach it, and uh, we kind of uh, sometimes sometimes can have our own way instead of his way, but I, I believe this message will be a help to you. When you get to 1 Timothy 3, take a left turn and then go to 1 Timothy 1. I want to read one verse there and then read a few verses out of um, 1 Timothy chapter 3. I started this at our church in Sunday school uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I only got through half of it in one Sunday school session, so I'm going to try to move a little quicker today. Uh, to try to get through the whole thing, but um, I titled this, What You Don't Know About Your Pastor, or Ways That You Can Pray for Your Pastor. And I think every church member want you say, well, I pray for the pastor every day, but you want to pray effectively. You want to you pray, you want to just say, oh, Lord, bless pastor. But you want to find out some real, and I, I just, I preached this at my church, and I said, look, folks, I'm just going to let you inside the suit coat here, into my heart, show you my heart, in some things that, and by the way, it's today, this, this weekend, Pastor, it's nine years ago, this weekend, the last weekend of September, that we went and candidated at Loomis and, and got the vote, and the pastor called me as I was driving, and he said, uh, I was driving out from here to candidate, and he said, all right. You're 72 hours from becoming the pastor of Loomis Park Baptist Church, and, and I'm out here on this ledge of this five-story building, but don't worry about me. I, th I think I'm going to be okay. There's a, there's a net down there, and firemen and all that. He said, I think I'll be fine. Don't worry about little old me. <laughs> oh, mercy. Now, <clears throat> those of you that don't know me, I know some of you don't, um, I got saved. I did not grow up in church. I got saved in 1995. I had long hair. I was in a rock band, and uh, I got saved. A, a co-worker, uh, I think I have them, I do as a matter of fact, a co-worker gave me these two gospel tracks right here, these exact two, um, and I put them, in, I remember putting them in my back pocket, Pastor, and I read them later, and uh, they led to my salvation, and I got saved in 1995, and uh, my wife and I, uh, Carrie, uh, I call her Blondie, so that's not a that, that's just my nickname for her. Amen. Uh, one day she'll get older, and maybe I'll call her Whitey. You never know. Amen. And but I call her Blondie, and uh, we got married in 1996. And in late 1996, I heard a message on a cassette tape. Young people, let me tell you what a cassette tape is. Amen. And uh, I heard a message on a cassette tape by a man named Tom Malone Sr. called "Fill Thine Horn with Oil and Go." And that night, I believe the Lord was speaking to me about the ministry, about calling me to preach, and I surrendered that night. And uh, in uh, the fall of 1997, my wife and I went to Midwestern Baptist College in Pontiac, Michigan, and um, <clears throat> such a 
beloved time. Uh, we served the Lord there for four years. I was on staff at Emmanuel Baptist Church as the, uh, the bus director, the, 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 the check writer, the toilet bowl cleaner, the, the vacuum sweeper runner, you know, uh, all those multitasks. Amen, Pastor. And uh, then I <clears throat> came out back to New England to our home church where I'll be preaching tonight. Uh, Mountain View Baptist Church, and my, my wife and I, it was just my wife and I, uh, 2001 to 2006, we served there as youth pastors uh, under Pastor Eric Tharp and Pastor Chad Correa, and then in 2006, we came here and uh, served till 2009 and 2008, our son Eric was born, and then uh, in 2009, we candidated for the pastorate of Loomis Park Baptist Church, came back, our son Luke was born, and then we went uh, in November, and we've been there ever since, so I've had varied experience as a pastor. I've served under a pastor as a bus director when I was in Bible college. I've served as a youth pastor. I've served here as an associate pastor. And by the way, all of that, uh, I shouldn't say all of that, all my time in New England was what we call bivocational. And that means I worked a full-time job all that time and did the ministry. And uh, that's just the way it was, Pastor. I, I, I'll never forget uh, Pastor Schott saying when he was, we were talking about uh, us coming here and Pastor said, oh, 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 we could take you on full time. <laughs> oh, we, uh, no problem. And I said, I said initially, I said, well, Pastor, look, I, I, have, a, I have a good job there in Enfield. I said, let's, let's just give it a couple months and see how it works before I just quit on the spot. Amen. And uh, two months later, he comes in. I had a little office over here and he said, I don't know what I was thinking. We can't hire you full-time. We can't even hire you part-time. <laughs> I said, it's okay, amen. So I guess I, I said all that to say um, I, have some, I have some pastoral experience. And not like your pastor as far as a senior pastor, but a varied experience of seeing things, amen, from, from different seats, if we could say it that way, amen. And my purpose in this lesson is, you know, many, many articles written by many better men than me on, um, you know, a pastor's heart and uh, whatnot. But this is, this is just, it's written from my experience. It, it's, uh, it's not a woe is me article. It's not so preachers can commiserate one with another. Uh, not at all. It's just really to let you in to the pastor's heart. And the, the whole idea of it is to buoy men of God on in the fight to help church members see their pastor for who he is, not just who he is in public, but who he really is, and to help church members to avoid causing their pastors to throw in the towel. Many pastors, forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, it's not the world that causes pastors to quit many times. It's strife in the church. And, uh, and I, I don't want that for sure. It's to help clear up some misconceptions that church members may have about their pastor. And it's to strengthen the church. Listen, if you're, if you're effectively praying for your pastor, the church is going to be stronger. It's going to be stronger. Amen. So let me just give you, I'm going to try to give you all 15 uh, today in about 30 minutes. So two minutes apiece, pastor. Amen. Number one. And by the way, he didn't want me, don't preach that. Don't preach that. I said, no, no, no. I said, uh, it, it's from me. To the, to the church, and, and I, think, I think you'll benefit from this. Number one, he faces, and I say he, because I, I wrote this about really about me, pastor, but pastors, he faces the same struggles that you do. That's point number one. 
He faces the very same struggles that we do. And I wanted to get to the text there. First uh, uh, Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Every pastor that I know has that verse, pastor, and says, yeah, boy, that, that's amazing that he would ever call me and use me. And then verse chapter 3, it gives us the qualifications of the pastor. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, bishop, pastor, synonymous words, okay, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, not sinless, blameless, the husband of one wife. That's, that's, that's in there, amen. Uh, by the way, that's, forgive me, ladies, we love you. I love women. My mother's a woman. My wife's a woman. I have a daughter. But you can't pastor. I'm sorry. This is the qualification that's laid out in God's word. Amen. Be good to hear some ladies say amen right there. The husband of one wife is what it says, okay? And then it goes on, and it says, uh, uh, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own house well, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of? of the church of God, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. So those are qualifications of the pastor, and boy, uh, books have been written on those pastors. We don't have time to deal with them today, but here, here's a pastor, okay? Here's a pastor. He's a man called of God, shepherd a church. He faces the same struggles that you do. I just wrote some of them down. Pastors are human beings. We're not supermen. We're not mind readers. Amen? Amen? Your, your pastor, and I didn't ask him. I, I, I'm, I'm saying this for me, but I believe it's true. Your pastor struggles with feeling far from God, staying right with God, confessing sin, reading his Bible, Praying, witnessing, keeping his thoughts pure and godly, family time, finances, thinking about retirement, trusting God, and a whole host of other areas just like you. You know why? Because we're all made of the same stuff, right? We're all people, amen? So number one, he faces the same struggles that you do, okay? Number two, he and his family. And by, this, by the way, I, I preach this at my church, okay? So uh, don't think I, I'm tattling on my church, amen, because I'm not. I just, I know pastors. He, number two, he and his family are subject to, quote, the member's microscope, which is also known as the goldfish bowl. Say, what's the goldfish bowl? Yeah, listen, goldfish has no privacy. You look in there, you see everything he's doing. That's why they like to hide in those little houses, amen? Just like pastors. Sometimes we like to hide in our little house. Let me just read. There are always those precious people who pay attention and will ask the pastor how, 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 how they can help and how they can be a blessing. These folks desire to be a help, and by the way, usually do so under the radar. They don't want the public to know that they're being a help to the pastor. However, sometimes members want to be able to microscopically manage the car that the pastor drives, his personal finances, as by the way, every member knows the pastor's salary. It's in the church budget. 
right there, okay? Uh, his home, the frequency which we, with he and his family dine out, the vacations that he takes. His wife can be overly concerned about getting her hair done or a new dress or having her nails done will affect the more frugal members of the congregation. Well, she's a kid got her nails done. I wish I had money to get my nails done. Hmm? Members sometimes appoint themselves as spiritual IRS agents, auditing every detail of the pastor's personal life and comparing it against their own. They have the improper notion that since they pay the pastor's salary, that gives them the right to analyze and scrutinize the pastor's family business, convert it into their own business, then make it church business when truly it's none of their business. Amen? Pastors live in a goldfish bowl. And by the way, pastor, we know that. I tell a young man, if, you're, if you can't handle the goldfish bowl, go sell cars. Really. Because that's the ministry. Okay? Number three. He gets correspondence that wounds him. Bet on it. Bet on it. Okay? While the Bible puts a premium upon face-to-face -face personal contact and confrontation in regards to offense, forgiveness, and reconciliation, Matthew 18.15, uh, Matthew 5.23 and 24, okay? some folks seem to have the gift and ministry of writing letters to the pastor. And I put gift and ministry in quotes. <laughs> We always say at our, our church, the ministry of criticism is full. We don't need more volunteers for that. Amen. It's full. We've got, we've got a, a schedule for that of people. Amen. Listen, any pastor worth his salt would rather have a difficult face-to-face -face meeting than receive a letter. Amen. There's nothing wrong with constructive criticism tenderly given in love. However, in my 20 years in the ministry... I have found that most emails, letters, and all anonymous correspondence are devoid of constructive criticism and are much more likely to be tools which Satan can use to discourage the pastor. Okay? I've, I've got unsigned notes. I get unfriended on Facebook. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Number four. Now, you would never think this. We were talking about this yesterday, Pastor. Number four. He's lonely. Your pastor's lonely. Now, he may look at me and say, no, I'm not. He knows it's true. Pastors, listen, while it's true, <laughs> pastor, you'll like this, while it's true that some pastors are unfriendly and thus the cause of their loneliness, you know, he that hath friends must show himself friendly, amen? Most pastors are people-friendly, people-loving, and a friend to everybody. Most pastors that I know, the right kind of pastors, are that way. However, many pastors have very few close friends. Whereas many times church members develop friendships and become close through common interests and activities such as work or, or family or hunting or fishing or crafting or children's sports, a pastor's life revolves around the church, its schedule of activities. Many times a pastor is displaced from his family, and even though a pastor may have a devoted wife, a young family, or grandkids in this case, he is often alone. 
preparing sermons, making visits, driving to the hospital. He's leery of getting too close with church members or church staff for fearing of seeming to be giving place to an accusation of being a respecter of persons. And there are things that he simply cannot share with church members, with his staff, or even his wife. He has pastor friends, but they are far from him, and he gets to see them so sparingly. That's why I love it when I'm able to see your pastor. We just, we encourage one another. We sharpen one another. Listen, just like you're lonely, sir or ma'am, I've said this for ages, you can be lonely in a crowd. And I know, Pastor, you're doing this series on the family, and I, I love that, that series, talking about a family for those who don't have a family. You know, just that's the family of God. But he's lonely. Number five. Boy, this one, uh, I think probably only us two will really start laughing at this one. He struggles with sermon preparation. <laughs> oh, boy. Until you've done it four times a week for years and years and years and years, it's hard to know. He hears... At the door, Pastor, that was a wonderful message. And the dear saint who said it truly means it, but they have no idea what a struggle it was to put that thing together. <laughs> he knows that his people need and desire to hear God's word when he preaches. Sermon preparation is one of the most important and most difficult to explain aspects of pastoral ministry. It really is. It's such a fluid process particularly in its inception when things come to be. Sermons are to be biblical and textual, but they can begin from a multitude of sources. Most pastors preach three to four times per week, Sunday school, a.m., p.m., midweek, which necessitates much prayer, quiet thought, seeking to be sensitive to the Spirit, Bible study, both hermeneutic, that's interpretation, and homiletic, that's creating a sermon, word work, structural refining, Searching for appropriate illustrations, reading, listening to preaching, searching for practical application in members' lives. Sermons do not just form from the mud. Amen? Brother Parmar, amen. <laughs> they don't just spring up. It's a lot of work. Okay? Not only in content, but also in creation. So he struggles with sermon preparation. Number six. Boy, this one is so true. He is very often trying behind the scenes to deal with and diffuse situations that could lead to a church split. Every pastor I know has had to take off the parson hat and put on the fireman hat. As I often say in our church, there are only two problems at Loomis Park Baptist Church, men and women. Those are the only problems we have at Loomis Park Baptist Church. We all get offended and rankled from time to time, and from time to time our flesh gets the best of us, and all God's people said. It, that necessitates repentance, humility, requesting of forgiveness from God, and sometimes from other believers. However, a pastor, when he should be preparing sermons, making hospital calls, soul winning, following up on guests, is way more than he should having to be a spiritual bomb tech. He knows if, if, if he just does, makes one wrong move, this thing's going to blow up and the, 
the church, literally, the church could, could be split down the middle and people could go out and, and with them leaves missions money. You know, missionaries are depending upon our money that we've committed to them. If they're depending upon it. I literally, Pastor, in the last uh, uh, quarter, we had two missionaries come in. I got one by letter. They, they just finished, they're just finishing their first term. They're in Ireland, and they said we are at 80% support, mostly because of churches splitting and closing. There's the pastor back there. You know, you can see the, see the timer, 30, 29, 28, 27, 26, and he's trying to, trying to defuse that situation, get these two parties that are struggling with pride to come together for the cause of Christ. Very often your pastor's doing that behind the scenes. Pray for him. Pray for him. It's one of the most stressful parts of the calling, Pastor. I never had a class on that at Midwestern. I don't think you did at Maranatha either. There's a chain reaction when one family gets upset, they leave, and it causes a church split, affects the body of Christ, the cause of Christ. Church loses members, Sunday school teachers, uh, offerings, missions, givings. Seven, he is hurt by a lack of faithfulness to services and participation in the program of the church. Every pastor. This hurt is not because a church member is not supporting him or he feels personally slighted. Listen, he understands that people work second shift. People in the medical field have to work on Sundays. You know, uh, after we brought my mom out to live with us, the, that, that first Sunday, we came for Amanda and Bruce's wedding, and we drove back, and we drove through a blizzard uh, uh, around Pennsylvania, and it came right around Erie. Once we got to Cleveland, it cleared. It was that lake effect snow. We got there, uh, got home late that night, and I remember uh, the Patriots were playing in the playoffs in January, and uh, uh, we got some pizza, and I uh, started eating some pizza, and you know, halfway into the pizza pass, I was just kind of like, oh, boy, that Papa John, he's, he's not better ingredients, better pizza, better burps, Papa John, you know? And I, I didn't realize it, but I was getting the flu. Ugh. I woke up about 2.30, and I did what you do when you get the flu several times. I'd, I'd just, you know, do it, and then I'd go back to sleep, and then I'd wake up again in a sweat and go do it again, and I'd cool off. And I got up in the morning, and it was our, our youth pastor, Pastor Donald's first Sunday. It was his first Sunday. And I said, I cannot miss Pastor Donald's first Sunday. I cannot miss it. I mean, we just got to have him here. And so I called. We used to have prayer in the morning in my office. And I called and said, look, we'll have prayer in the other room. I said, I'm not, I'm not going to shake any hands. I had somebody teach Sunday school for me. I said, I'm just going to come and preach and be there for Pastor Donald's first Sunday. Well, I came. I preached. And I was there for part of Pastor Donald's first Sunday. 30 minutes into my message, literally, all my electrolytes were gone. I turned as white as this shirt, and I passed out in the pulpit. <laughs> Pastor Donald was downstairs doing junior church, and he heard, <laughs> and somebody came down and said, what happened? They said, Pastor just passed out. Everybody was on the platform, and uh, I woke up, you know, and the EMTs were there, and I, I was just kind of like this, and I said, I said uh, I've been reading this book, 
50 creative ways to get people to the altar. And this was number one on the list, amen. <laughs> Never had so many people at the altar in our church, amen. I said to one of my deacons, I said, Brother Jackson, as he always introduced himself, Ken Jackson from Jackson. I said, Brother Jackson, I think I'm going to take a couple of days off. He said, that's a good idea. Let me tell you something. I was glad the EMTs were working on Sunday, right? Okay? Listen, he understands when you have to work. He understands that you do get sick. You do take vacations occasionally. By the way, I don't understand like eight weeks of vacation personally. I'm just sharing my heart. You know, if you take a vacation from church eight weeks of the year, it's something you better think about as far as your commitment goes. But anyway, moving right along. What hurts him is when church members put their kids' sports or family time or a visit from Aunt Bertha or other lame excuses as to why they can't be in church. I said other lame excuses as to why they can't be in church. I said other lame excuses as to why they can't be in church. You know why he hurts? Because he knows that it's not going to hold up at the judgment seat of Christ. You are not going to be, you are not going to get the rewards that he wants you to get. That Hebrews 13 talks about. They watch for your souls that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. He hurts because he's trying to be biblical, instill faithfulness, provide a place of service for faithful members because he prepares messages for the people of God and they're simply not there to hear him. You know, my life was changed because of messages I heard in the local church, Pastor. And if I wasn't there, no change. Guaranteed. And the same goes for you and all God's people said. So seven, he's hurt by a lack of faithfulness of service and participation in programs. Okay, eight, he is worn down by constant and withering criticism. Again, I said that. So you don't, you don't need to criticize me. I'm, I'm my biggest critic. I know when I lay an egg in the pulpit. <laughs> I know when I lay a dozen. I know when I lay a baker's dozen, Amen. Very rarely do people tell the pastor good things of life. When I taught this at our church, I pointed at a couple, and I, their name's Tom and Wendy Hauser. And they said to me, said, Pastor, could we meet with you for about five minutes? And every pastor, when they hear that, we say, sure. But our second reaction is, oh, boy. These are good, faithful people, wonderful people. And they came in, and they told me that they said, they said Pastor, we just want to let you know we've been so blessed that we, there's oil on our property. We, 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 got a, we got a well on our property. It was like one of the five times in my life that I had a meeting in private with somebody and it was good. But I could give you about 50 where it said, well, we're heading for divorce court or we're gonna lose our home. We haven't made our mortgage payment in eight months or whatever. So very rarely does pa the pastor hear the good things of life. And I'm always glad when folks share blessings. However, hearing, receiving, and having to take criticism seems to be a regular part of a pastor's life. From the color of the carpet, to the new hymnals, to the pastor's schedule, to his staff, to the price or this or that, a pastor gets hammered 
by a multitude of critics and criticism on a regular basis, and it keeps him up at night and it wears him down. Amen. It does. I'm just being honest with you. Amen. Pray for him. Don't criticize him. Pray for him. If you got something to say, do me a favor. Wait. If you got something to say, don't say it before he preaches. Do not corner him before he gets to the pole. You know, pastor, the, there's, a, there's a toilet running. Well, go catch it. Amen? You know, just the, the amazing, I'm so thankful. I have such great deacons. Uh, part of the deacon's job is to just head things like that off. Uh, ushers, you know, we call them ERT, security guys. You can head stuff like that off. Assistant pastors, amen, hallelujah. I was always good at that for you, pastor, amen. I'd head things like that off, amen. Oh, mercy. He's worn down by constant withering criticism. Number nine, I'm doing good. I got 10 minutes here. He struggles with working too much and with bringing his work home. He's a pastor, so he knows that he is on call 24-7. And the right kind of pastor, just like the right kind of member, works hard. Amen. Many times at our church, and I have some staff, my car is the first one in the parking lot, pastor, and the last one to leave. Now, I've told my staff it doesn't have to be that way. Now, here, it's always Brother Caleb. His car is the first one in the parking lot (laughs) and the last one to leave. Amen. Just like when I was here, Brother Caleb, because we live here. Amen. But a pastor works hard, the right kind of pastor. Your pastor, I know, works hard. He works hard. Too many times, however, he brings his wife home or or, or work home to the neglect of his wife and children. Let me be personal. Sometimes my children have wanted my attention after a long day, and I have been corresponding with a struggling church member or someone who even attends our church who isn't even a member trying to help them through something, sharing scripture, and I missed opportunities with my children. The pastor's always there for you, but be conscious of his time with his family. I have people who call me on Monday, pastor, and it's very rare. I just almost always take Monday off, and they call me and they say, Brother Herbis, they say, I'm so sorry to call you on a Monday. I appreciate that. They're trying to say, I'm trying to be considerate of your family, but Many pastors struggle with working too much and bringing their work home. Number 10, boy, church members, I hope you'll know this one. He does not have all the answers. He does not have all the answers. Church members many times will bring a problem to the pastor for which he has no answer. Some are minor, though they never seem minor to the member at the time. Pastor, would you, be help, would you be able to help me with my central air? Um, no. <laughs> let, me, let me see. Let me check my diploma. It says Bachelor of Religious Education. <laughs> you know, I'm laughing. Pastor, my sink has a clog in it. Pastor, I need a ride to, oh, Rich's Taxi. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, where do you need a ride to? Oh, Boston. Oh, good. 
Let me see what Greyhound charges. Amen. That's just, oh, they, they, I'm laughing because, and especially when it comes to like central air and, you know, pastor, I got this door hinge. I'm laughing because the people at Loomis know that I am the most unhandy person. <laughs> My wife is the handy person in our, I kid you not. I can't, you can ask her. I'm, just, I'm telling the truth. Amen. I am the unhandy man. Amen. Listen, every pastor I know wants to help. But they're, they're pastors, they're not mechanics. They're not plumbers. They're not architects. They're not insurance agents. They're not estate planners. Amen? People, people come with these things. However, and we, we joke about these, however, some questions and statements are far, far more serious. Pastor, why did my child die? Pastor, my wife left me. I feel like I have no reason to live. What am I going to do? Again, a pastor wants to help. A pastor will listen. A pastor will be there for you. But there are some questions that will go unanswered until we get to heaven. You need to know that. You're my pastor. You need to have the answer. Secret things belong unto God. But those that are revealed unto us and to our children, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, 11, he tires of but has to smile when he receives comparisons of his salary to secular work. Some will say, oh, he's got it easy. I wish, he, I, wish I had his job. What's it like to work one day a week? Well, when I hear some pastors preach, I think maybe they do work one day a week, amen? It's a prideful statement which many times is harmless and said in jest, but other times it's birthed from a sin of envy. Again, I was bivocational for eight years. I worked in aerospace quality, so my perspective is unique. It is simply not fair to compare secular work, doing a job, running a business, manual labor, handling an account to ministry. While they each require initiative, character, work ethic, Dealing with invoices, vehicles, wood, metal, or figures is incomparable to dealing with the lives of people. Incomparable. When I worked as an aerospace quality inspector, I did my job well, I worked hard, I was paid well, I received raises and bonuses. Uh, raises and bonuses are part of the business world, but they're not part of the ministry mindset. They're just not. I enjoyed my time in the aerospace industry. However, one of the many times I enjoyed it was because each day when I punched out and left work, I left work. Pastor used to say to me sometimes, he called me at 2.30, oh, 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 can you preach tonight? <laughs> yes, sir. And he'd start to tell me about his day and he'd say, kind of wish we were, I was in the factory with you today. And I, and, I, and I always, Pastor, back then, I always thought, he's crazy. He's crazy. You don't want to be inspecting aerospace parts. After pastoring for almost 10 years, I know what he meant. The burdens of the ministry can weigh down so heavy that you almost wish just for a day you were working in the factory. The pastor works in the souls of people and can never punch out. By the way, personally, I never expect raises or bonuses, pastor. Right or wrong, I just never expect it. If people want to do it, that's fine. Want to give us a love gift, that's fine. But I never expect it. 
Number 12. He is viewed as too harsh by some and too soft by others. Every church has members that are new believers and those who are veteran believers. A pastor is always trying to strike the balance between slowly and tenderly bringing babes in Christ along, but sometimes in doing so, concerning biblical standards like dress and conduct, he becomes the target of an accusation of compromise. He's always seeking for the most effective way to diffuse a situation and in how he deals with members, he asks for wisdom, James 1.5, evaluates and assesses how to deal with and help a member. Some members need prayer and a pat. Others need chewing out and a kick. However, there are always those who believe that a pastor should have been more forceful with one and that he should have been more gracious with another. No matter what. That's why, no matter how we, we try, pastor, we cannot please everybody. In our church, it's the air conditioner. I kid you not. I, we set that thing on 71, and I am sweating and dying at 71. I'm up here preaching, and we've got senior saints back there that are like this. And I, forgive me, I have 50-year-old women that are back there like this. And I just said, you know what? I can't wait till the Apostle Peter has to deal with this up at the gates of heaven. I'm sorry, it's 71 in here. I could see some of our seniors, well, I can't handle that, amen. Is there any place else to go? And, and then some 50-year-old woman say, 71? It needs to be 65, amen. Number 13, he loves his staff and members and is sometimes forced by both to choose between them. Don't make him pick a side. It's happened to me a lot. Every pastor who has brought on a staff member, a youth pastor, an associate, loves them. And however the church polity is set up, the pastor has a huge part in them coming to the church. The pastor prayerfully believed and believes that they can meet needs in the church and help the church reach its potential in various ministries. The members make all of this possible. Amen, Pastor? The members make it possible. It is not possible to have a church staff without faithful, generous church members. And every pastor that I've known loves his members. However, things come up, personality differences, way of doing things, perceptions, and there can be a member versus staff mentality. Sometimes this leads to the member subtly or openly giving the pastor an ultimatum regarding their membership being linked to the pastor's dealing with the staff member as the member sees fit. That's wrong. That's wrong. Don't do that. Sometimes it's the staff. Sometimes the staff says, boy, you didn't take my side in this. You didn't, you didn't defend me and you didn't defend my family. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, don't force him, whether you're staff or whether you're members, don't force him to take sides. God's not in that. He is available, number 14, too available by, for some <laughs> and viewed as never available by others. Every pastor has people that are chatty. It's okay. They love to come in the pastor's office and want to talk to the pastor. And I just say this, in most cases, as a pastor, I enjoy that. That's fellowship. You know, they want to talk about something, have a cup of coffee, but not a pot of coffee. Forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, and please, I'm, I'm not being, 
I'm not being brash or anything like We do have things to do. Amen? We really do. We, I, I go back to some of these other points. Amen? And then there are others, there are others that feel like in honesty and sincerity, they never want to bother him. Right, Pastor? I mean, they never want to bother him. But then what a few minutes with the pastor could have helped diffuse becomes bitterness and a devilish wedge forms. Any good pastor is flexible around members' schedules and wants to be available for his members, but he has work to do too. Number 15, lastly, and this one is last on purpose. He is crushed every time someone leaves the church over an issue and never gets over it. It's a fact, Pastor. We, we've got to go on, but we never get over it. Pastors love their people. They pour themselves into their people. They desire to see their people grow in grace. They watch with joy as God blesses the church with unity of purpose for Christ, and then bang, someone gets upset and leaves. Please listen to me when I tell you this is devastating for the pastor. <clears throat> the pastor must now decide how to handle it with the departed and with the members. Why did they leave? Should he pursue them? Sometimes the pastor literally has no idea why the family left. Other times he has heard rumors or received correspondence. In the rare instance when things are handled biblically and the departing members and the pastor can still shake hands and be friends, the pastor is still devastated. It affects him as a pastor, but it may also affect his wife, his children, for the children of the people that left are their friends. My kids have asked me on, sadly, numerous occasions, Daddy, where's so-and-so? They were in my Sunday school class. Well, they're not going to our church anymore, buddy. Listen, he never gets over these departures. You know what that, I, I say that to you? When I come back here in five years or two years or three years or whenever the pastor will let me come back and split the church again, you should be here. You should be here. You should be here. It's just what you don't know about your pastor or ways you can pray for your pastor. Father, thank you for your blessing, your goodness. Thank you for this simple lesson, Lord, so simple. I pray that you would bless in the next service. Bless this message to people's hearts. Or may they know they have a wonderful pastor, but he is a human being. And Lord, that they would pray for him faithfully. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Pastor.